Hello, and welcome to Let's Talk About It. This is your host, Taylor, and today's episode starts off a very, very exciting, exciting, super, super exciting series, and I'm very, very excited to introduce you all to my co-host for this little mini-series, Dustin. What's up? (laughs) So Dustin is going to be joining me for this little series on being biracial. And I'm really, really excited to have you on board to help co-host. And one of the main reasons that I'm excited about this, I mean... First, not many people from Bachelor in general have spoken out or talked about their racial identity. And I know that that wasn't necessarily a common or normal thing for you to do publicly, but recently with you know the Black Lives Matter movement and the revolution happening, um, you have become more outspoken as one of the few uh, biracial men in the franchise. Yeah, absolutely. Um you know, I just feel like when you have to, it's just a calling inside you that, you know, you have to stand up and say what's right and say a little bit mm-hmm. about yourself. Um, yeah. that, that little video I did not too long, I didn't mean to get mm-hmm. all emotional, but it's like just everything compressed for so many years, just all mm-hmm. of a sudden came up and I, it was emotional. Yeah. It'll yeah. talk for me. But yeah, was, again, thank it, you. Again, thank you for inviting me here. This is like so therapeutic and uh, I'm really excited. So thank you for having me co-host with you. Yes, of course. Um, Yeah, no, the video, I mean, it was so touching and like your vulnerability was very courageous and very appreciated and I think very healing probably for a lot of people to watch and it seemed also to be a a bit healing for you as well. Um, You were on Hannah's season, um, which wasn't a season that I personally watched, but I had seen you and first was like, he cute, but also was like, <laughs> uh, you know, he's sharing about this and I think it would be really helpful to have a male's perspective on this and for us to be able to kind of share a little bit of both of our experiences, but then we're also in this little series going to be sharing stories from all the other biracial folk in Bachelor Nation, which will be a lot. <laughs> I'm excited. I don't think I've ever talked with so many mixed people one time before. This is this is going to be so magical today. <laughs> yes, it is. Um, everyone comes from like such, you know, similar but also different backgrounds. You know, we all have been doing very different things since the show. Um, and we're certainly going to talk about a bit of our biracial journeys as well. But, um, you know, Dustin, you're in Chicago. You, you know, more than being biracial, uh, you're a real estate broker. Um, you do this fitness at, at the park like every night. Is that right? No, every every week. Every, every week. week. We do it. Once a yeah. week. Okay. Once a week. Yeah. I don't know. In my head, I'm like, he's out there doing that every night. <laughs> yeah. No, no, no. And the good thing about the fitness in the park is... Um, Chicago is very segregated. So mm-hmm. we want to get a trainer, a new trainer every week in a different park around Chicago. So mm-hmm. you're bringing all these people that wouldn't necessarily get to see these other park areas and yeah. just, you know, opening up to that and seeing new areas around Chicago. And mm-hmm. that's the point of it. And getting, getting into shape too. That's good too. <laughs> yes, being healthy, getting some exercise, that's exactly. also helpful. Uh, but then you also have this project, this video series uh, that you've been working on called Herd Chef. Do you want to share a little bit about that? Yeah, that's another fun one I like. Um, again, like me growing up, I never really went out to nice restaurants. Um, mm-hmm. 
if you went out to a nice restaurant in my hometown, it was like Red Lobster. And that was like a special <laughs> occasion. Like it was yes. someone's getting married. It's a birthday. It's something yeah. special. But uh, mm. yeah, here's your moving to Chicago. It's like the hub of food in the U.S. Yeah. And um, so I go around and have these chefs teach me how to cook. And mm-hmm. we just get to know each other. And I just help promote their restaurants in this time with COVID-19. And uh, yeah. they've gotten hit the hardest. And um, mm-hmm. it's just another way to bring the community closer together here in Chicago. Yeah, I love that. I mean, yeah. for anyone that listens to this podcast or follows me on Instagram knows that like I'm obsessed with farmers and I love food. I mean, I'm like plant-based, but supporting your local community is so, so, so important. And I could see the importance of that even more in a place like Chicago where it is pretty segregated and just trying to like actually bring that community together. Um so that's fantastic, all of what you're doing. And, and I hope that uh, people check it out and, and explore a little bit more. Um, I feel like a lot of listeners and a lot of fans of the show don't necessarily know a lot about you and probably most of the other people that we're going to have on uh, I, these episodes. <laughs> that's so weird, right? That's so weird. Yeah. Um, and I want to talk just kind of briefly a little bit about the whole purpose of this of these next few episodes. Um, you know, when when kind of the revolution started, all of this just got a bit amplified. I would say before all of this, um, I certainly still received the same questions of like, can you talk about what it is to be biracial? You know, can you talk about things like colorism? Can you talk about the privileges that you have as a biracial person? Can you talk about, you know, being pooled that you're not black enough, you're not white enough? Um, And I felt like, you know, I was initially just going to do a little video of myself talking about what it's like for me to be mixed race like this. And then I was like, well, you know, I'll, there's so much more to this conversation than just me. And there are so many other people who haven't actually really had a safe space to even talk about those things. Um, So then I was like, you know what? Why don't we just bring in literally like every half black, half white person from the franchise and let's all kind of get together and share our stories in a very like unapologetic way and just create a safe space for that. So, um, that's kind of I'm what so we're glad, doing. I'm so glad you. I'm so glad you did this too. Like this is great, and you know, every like people ask me what it's like to be mixed, and that would just be my own story. Mm-hmm. Being mixed for so many people is so complex. You know, it's so different yeah. for everyone that is mixed in the U.S. So mm-hmm. or around the world. Yeah, and, uh, yeah. I'm glad you did this. I'm excited to hear everyone else's uh, intake on it. I'm sure we're going to have a lot of similarities. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would yeah. also be excited to see like the differences that some of us mm-hmm. haven't gone through that some of us have. Yeah. And I, I feel like it's, it's a little ironic sometimes because certainly we'll have similar experiences yet. I think in those experiences, we typically feel alone. Like I know yeah. I have felt very alone in some of my experiences as a biracial person yet. Logically, I know like other people who are biracial definitely have to like deal with this or have dealt with it. Um, So hopefully this kind of helps to bridge that gap a little bit too. 
All right. We're going to take a short break right here because I want to share a new sponsor of the pod that y'all might have heard me talk about a few episodes back, and that is Dirty Fun Box. Now, I know that there's like a lot of different boxes out there, but this is honestly like the most exciting, like my favorite box that I think I've ever received. Um, It's not like your average um, delivery box or subscription box or, you know, it's not like a sex shop kind of a thing. The thing that really sets Dirty Fun Box apart from any of those is the fact that this box actually has challenges in them, like guided challenges that actually like help people explore their sexuality, their desires, their kinks, their fetishes, cosplay, you name it. Um, and they do all this in a very approachable way through tiered challenges that are included in each delivery. Um, so they have challenge boxes and standalone challenges for couples and for solo partners and you can customize it for groups of three or more so whatever your situation is they're gonna have a fun challenge for you that you can explore and uh just look at different ways of experiencing pleasure with you and your partners uh, <laughs> one of the things i also love about dirty fun box is that they actually have sex education tips in each box um, along with some curated content and they also do custom challenges for specific sexual requests so highly encouraged that y'all check them out you can head over to dirtyfunbox.com slash Taylor Nolan and use the discount code Taylor10 for 10% off. I guarantee uh, this will probably be one of the funnest boxes subscriptions that you ever get. (laughs) And um, I've absolutely loved everything that's been in mine and it's led to some really fun explorations. (laughs) So definitely check it out, dirtyfunbox.com slash Taylor Nolan and use the discount code Taylor10 for 10% off. I'm getting excited already. Literally just talking about it and like I need to chill it out. I need to slow it down. Uh, We can now get back to the show. Um, You know, I've shared in a previous episode um, with my chosen father a bit about my journey with being biracial um, as well as in a Father's Day episode with him. But so like I've kind of talked a bit about my own experience of being biracial and and I will continue to kind of throughout this series as it's uh, appropriate. But I would love just to get a little get to know a little bit more about you and like your background and your experience um, before we get into all this with everyone so that people are more acquainted with who's co-hosting and um, would love to just kind of hear like, you know, what your family dynamic was and then also just kind of like where you're at today. Like how do you, like I keep saying biracial and mixed race and like how do you even like identify yourself? Yeah, yeah. I'm excited to get into that. So I, I guess I'll start by like, I'm from Southern Illinois, Marion, Illinois. Uh, people that don't know where that's at, it's right on the border of Illinois and Kentucky. Um, mm, so I grew up Kentucky. in a very like, yeah, right there by Kentucky. Yeah. Uh, a lot of good food, Southern food. Um, mm-hmm. Eating healthy is not in that area at all. And I, I, I mean, yeah. I ate good my whole life. But um, <laughs> yeah, I grew up in a Southern um, majority white town. Um mm-hmm. My father, that is black, uh, he wasn't really in the picture that often. He was in there sometimes, in and out. I was mainly raised by my mom and my grandparents. My mm-hmm. mom had me at 18, young, so my grandparents were really in the um, picture a lot. Yeah. Um, so I grew up on my white side. Mm-hmm. And um, growing up on my white side, I don't think I really knew what race was until I think I was in junior high. 
And this girl, like, you know how you have that little love. And I think mm-hmm. I was sixth grade, in sixth grade. And this girl, I was, I guess, writing notes to her one the date at the time. Um, we started becoming girlfriend and boyfriend. But mm-hmm. the next day, she told me she couldn't date me because I was black. And I was just, like, confused and just so, like, heartbroken. My little heart at the time. I was like, yeah. I, don't, I don't get it. You know, why Why is that? So that's the first negative that I think mm-hmm. I've received for being... Um, african-american or half black um so that's when i realized what race was and ever since then you know i always i've been through you know where i've heard from both sides like i'm not white enough i'm not black enough but Mm -hmm. it was always like i was told the one drop rule you have one drop of blood and you're black so i had to identify as black i guess Mm -hmm. and i guess my family kind of thought that too like they wanted to make me feel comfortable to make me feel you know comfortable as well and Mm -hmm. you know like little things like doing my hair I remember like putting grease in my hair just trying you know I don't know I break out with acne all the time and like (laughs) you guys don't know what you're doing what we're talking about I gotta figure something out but uh also on my Mm -hmm. black side I wasn't necessarily black enough and Mm -hmm. I, I was really athletic I did good in sports yeah and through that I built the the, I don't know, the trust and identity of being Black. And the, I built the bond with the Black community, you know, mm-hmm. through that, even though I still maybe look a little different and mm-hmm. talk a little different. And I always thought, okay, if I'm going to be Black, I have to be Black. It was like music, little things like music, like, okay, I kind of like country, but I shouldn't be listening to country. Or I kind of like this pop rock, but I shouldn't mm-hmm. be listening to it. I should just listen to rap and R&B. Yeah. Um, so uh, just going through that pretty much my whole life, you know, and I think after sports, when I was like 20, I was probably like 21 when I finished playing sports in college, mm-hmm. um, I had to find myself again. And yeah. who was who was Dustin? And through that time, um, I don't really even know. I hate to identify myself as, you know, white, black or mixed. Mm-hmm. But if anything, I just identify myself as my truth and I'm a um a mixed, I'm a mixed man. I'm mixed. So Mm -hmm. I am both. And that's what I identify as. And I don't know. That's me. I am both. I I like that. That's part of, you know, when I first started doing my own like racial identity journey, really in grad school, um, it was like talking about like our culture, right. And like kind of what we are. And I was like, well, I'm, I'm half black and I'm half white, but like, I know. And sometimes like, I'm just, black to people and in other ways I'm just white to people but like I'm both like I'm just me and that was like what I ended up writing about that I was like I'm both (laughs) and that's okay that's what I am that's I mean the science is behind it I am both so Mm -hmm. I am what I am yeah and I mean you know we won't talk a ton about Bachelor in this series here but um you know given that both of us have grown up predominantly around whiteness in more so white spaces, which even I would say is is true for for uh, non mixed yes. people. Yeah, yeah. Um, almost everyone is immersed in whiteness. That's kind of predominantly our culture. Um, but given that we've had that experience, and then we also were on this show, which you know certainly is skewed towards a white audience and is predominantly of white voices. Um, you were on a season with someone who, 
is kind of the like epitome of all of that, right? Um, Hannah's was literally a like a pageant queen in the South as like a white yeah, right? blonde woman. Um, so <laughs> I'm curious, like, what that experience for you like is that typically what you would find yourself dating, and how does how I guess did you feel you you showed up in that space? Like, how was being yeah. in that space as as a mixed man? Like, what was that like for you? For sure. Um, I found out that Hannah was going to be the Bachelorette the day I got there on set. And they brought me on live mm. television. That's when I met her for the first time. Oh, that's right. Yeah. How they do that. And yeah. I was so scared and nervous. <laughs> but, uh, you know, Hannah's a beautiful girl. She's a little younger than me. So I, I and, you know, I didn't know her personality. So I didn't want to judge mm-hmm. and whatnot. But ideally, I didn't think me and her would be a thing. But mm-hmm. I was open open to get to know her. So I was like, you know what? Yeah. I'm going to use this experience, get to know her. You never know. We'll see what happens. Mm-hmm. And yeah. it's just the experience. And mm-hmm. yeah, it, that's what it yeah. was too. Yeah. 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 Uh, I'll be curious to see how, you know, our other fellow contestants have, have felt um, and, and how the show, if at all, played a part in forming their racial identity. Um, I know for me, it felt like a space that I had to express my whiteness and um, lean more on that to be accepted or to be, you know, even airtime wise and, and all of that. Um, you know, when I look back, I'm like, my hair was mostly straight. <laughs> like I straightened my hair most of the time, <laughs> which at yeah. that time was more of a like, okay, I'm, you know, going to make other people feel more comfortable around me and I will be perceived as more beautiful this way. Yeah. I don't know if you were straightening your hair, but. <laughs> Wasn't straightening my hair. I mean, I'm sure for, you know, a woman, it's a little bit tougher because, you know, I mean, mm-hmm. yeah, you have to deal with your, I, I mean, I was just as is, so. Yeah. Yeah. And so you yeah, felt like- I know, yeah, I know, like, for sure, like, if you straighten your hair, then you seem like you're white and if you keep it curly Mm -hmm. it's like okay she's something now what is she like and you know so i can definitely see how you would want to yeah that pressure yeah yeah all right i want to take a short break right here because i want to talk about our mental health if you think about the things that are interfering with your happiness, uh, if you're feeling like you're not in the best possible place that you could be in, if you're feeling like you just want a little bit of extra support, there is literally no shame whatsoever in wanting, needing, or receiving, or asking for help. Literally zero. So I really want to encourage y'all, this is not self-help. This is professional counseling on in a safe, online, secure environment where you can get matched with a licensed professional therapist in an affordable setting. It's really convenient. You can kind of go at your own pace um, and really just start taking charge and taking control of your mental health and advocating for yourself. Um, you know, sometimes it's just really helpful to have someone, a third person in your life to kind of listen and just share that space with you. Anything that you share is confidential, just like in a regular therapy setting. Um, it's not a crisis line, but um, you can certainly get matched really quickly within 24 hours and um, have a lot of flexibility on, on communication. So I highly, highly recommend that you guys check out BetterHelp. They have had so many people sign up on their platform that they are recruiting additional counselors in all 50 states. So um, whether 
whether you're looking for more help or you're able to provide the help, I think we should all be checking out BetterHelp. Uh, so you can get 10% off your first month as a listener of Let's Talk About It by visiting betterhelp.com slash talk about it. Again, that's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash talk about it. So if you take advantage of this lovely opportunity and uh, know that there's nothing wrong whatsoever with getting some additional support. And with all that said, we can now get right back to the show. Um, I'm wondering as we go into this here, um, if there's anything that like that you're looking forward to um, with getting to know some of the other contestants and like sharing these stories around like being biracial. Like if there's something that you've struggled with as a mixed man that like you're hoping to hear heard or that you're hoping to like have space for as we chat with everyone. Anything come um, to mind? I guess I'm just kind of looking forward to seeing if we have similar stories that have happened. Mm -hmm. Um, for sure, I think like I think all of us have dealt with the not white enough, not black enough, or you know, we mm -hmm. tried to. I mean, some of us. Well, I don't know for most of us, but mm -hmm. I will say that um, for me, I know a lot of people, my friends that are mixed race, their father wasn't actually involved in their lives, mm -hmm. and I would like to see like, I guess what it was like more so if you did have like a like if your mom and dad were together in the same household i would like to like uh, hear on that but um mm -hmm. for similar con concepts that we've all had i don't know i'm just kind of excited to see what just happens mm -hmm. what comes up and just see what hits home yeah no i totally agree with that um i think you're gonna want to ask alexa about that and then everyone else i don't really know <laughs> um there yeah, are a few people i know but <laughs> yeah i mean i know amber james and i know um clay i think that's only mm -hmm ones i really know i mean i know of others but those are the two i yeah i hung out with and been around so i know a little bit about theirs but not in depth but uh yeah. Yeah, i'm excited yeah same 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 um okay well before we get into everything with our other bachelor fam uh we are going to talk with mixed in america and megan and jasmine have founded this community which empowers the mixed community and helps heals the mixed identity um jasmine and megan are two multiracial activists um they have these more nuanced conversations about race in america and they really understand firsthand the complexities of being mixed race and have really made it their mission to give voice to the multiracial experience. Uh, their account on Instagram is amazing. I am obsessed with them. I'm super, super happy to have them on here. So let's welcome them to the show. Hi, Jasmine and Megan. Thank you so much for being here. All right. So welcome Jasmine and Megan to the show. Thank you both so much for being here. Thank so you for having us. Yay. Uh, where are you both located? Um, I'm in Las Vegas, uh, Las Vegas, Nevada. Yeah. yeah, this is where I grew up. Okay. I'm from Las Vegas, but I am currently in Philadelphia. Mm, okay. Philly, Philly. Love it. Um, well, thank you both so much for coming on. I mean, your account, Mixed in America, has been such a great resource for me and has felt so healing in my own kind of, um, you know, racial identity journey. So just want to start off just saying thank you so much for putting in the work that you both have already done so far. It's amazing. Thank you. We made Mix in America out of necessity. 
I think that's something that we, we really like to be transparent about. We were, we, you know, growing up, it feels like mixed people have nowhere to run. Like nobody knows how to deal with us really. Uh, so we really made this community because it felt like it needed to happen now and jasmine and i we looked we were like there's mm-hmm. got to be a community let's let's figure it out we can't be coming up with this idea like on our own and mm-hmm. we were like where's the community yeah <laughs> this yeah. Is like, where is it yeah yeah i mean we yeah we created it almost selfishly we were like well we want community so <laughs> let's make it <laughs> um and i'm sure some other people feel the same you know <laughs> Yes. Yeah. I mean, sometimes you just, you got to make it for yourself, you know? Um, absolutely. Absolutely love that. I mean, you guys really work to help empower the mixed community. Um, you have this workbook that both me and all of the guests that we're going to have on in this series um, kind of looked at uh, to kind of help like process a little bit more what our own racial identities are and, you know, what that looks like. Um, Dustin, I don't know if you want to kind of chime in here on just kind of like what it was like for you even looking over that workbook. Yeah, um, I skimmed through it and like just seeing that it just kind of hit back and like um, like just the, the environment I grew up in, a little bit about my background. I grew up in Southern Illinois, a very small country, mm-hmm. majority white town. And uh, just to, you know, seeing those questions, what influenced me, which which side do I relate more to? And it just, um, mm-hmm. those are just all like, I don't know, confusing now, but growing up, I was so confused. I, was, I always searched for my identity. I didn't know which way to actually, uh, I didn't know who I was, honestly. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah. yeah, I really appreciate those questions. I haven't really went through them to fill them out, me personally, but yeah. just seeing those gave me like a little bit of a flashback and it, mm-hmm. it was good. Yeah. yeah. I mean, they definitely take time to figure out because it's honestly questions that a lot of mixed people haven't even been asked mm-hmm. before, which is yeah. crazy. You know, you'd think that that's a normal thing. How do you racially identify? No one ever really asks you that. They just tell you who you are, right? Yeah. So I think even that question is like, whoa, like, I don't think I've actually sat down and decided how I want to actually racially identify mm-hmm. myself. Yeah. So that, I mean, it's, it's just the tip of the iceberg, that workbook, but it's, already so complex and already it takes a lot mm-hmm. of time just to be able to dig into those questions. So yeah. I'm excited for you guys to be able to do that. It's important to put the power back in the person, right? Like we're seeing this happen in so many ways. We're seeing how, you know, we're saying we can kind of let go of labels so much and let people mm-hmm. tell us how they actually feel. So something that Jasmine and I feel really, really strongly about, it's about you telling us, like, it's not, oh, this person perceives me this way, this person perceives me that way, so let me take what they're saying and then decide, no, no, those people need to hold, and we need to do the work ourselves and, and, and you know, decide what feels authentic and true, and then we, we can express authentically. Because one thing I'm personally really sick of is, is allowing other people to tell me who I am. Only I know my experience. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I know yes. where I come from. And um, and that's hard for a lot of people to accept because mixed people, we kind of challenge these racial stereotypes, mm-hmm. right? So people don't get to just be like, oh, you know, I see you, uh, you're black. So I have this narrative attached to that, this story attached to that, and this attached to that. So this is who I think you are. But for mixed people, it's not that. We come from, you know, 
two or more things. So people are kind of like, I don't know what, I don't know how I should talk to you. I don't know how I should treat you. I'm uncomfortable Mm -hmm. because you're not in a little pretty box that I have attached a narrative to. So that's why, you know, we want to put the power back in the person's hands so that they can express in a way that makes them feel authentic. Girl, I'm ready to be best friends. Damn. <laughs> yeah. I mean, no, that was that's so all of that. I, I absolutely love putting the power back in the people. And I think that's part of, you know, what what the aim of of this little mini series is to do is to kind of help, you know, the other mixed folk in in the Bachelor family to have a space to kind of process that and to not not necessarily continue to allow other people, fans and whatnot, to label what they are, but to be able to have a an opportunity to say, well, this is who I am, and maybe this is still who I'm figuring out who I am. Um, one thing I would love to kind of hear a little bit more from the both of you on is how this racial trauma shows up differently for people who are mixed race. And I have to say, I mean with one of the girls, uh, Alexa, who's going to be coming on later. Um, her and I kind of talked about this before even doing this recording and worrying that us sharing about our experiences as mixed race would be insensitive. Um, and I think that that kind of speaks to some of this trauma where even I had to kind of double check myself as to like, well, who are we to be like, well, we're mixed race and this is our experience. And in that, mm-hmm. I'm like questioning my own blackness and I'm like, uh, I don't know. I think it's a reaction to trauma and what I've been told I am by other people and what my place is. Uh, but I know, I mean, among the many fabulous things that y'all cover, um, on mixed in America and a racial trauma is one of them and how that looks different for mixed race people. So would love to hear you both kind of touch on that a little. Yeah. Um, well, obviously, you know, depending on what your mix is, you know, I mix black. So is mm-hmm. Megan. And, uh, we experience racism too. We've had, we have experienced racism in our life. Um, but the difference is obviously we do experience, uh, light skin privilege, you know, that Mm -hmm. has to be noted for sure when it comes to colorism, but also what, how our trauma is different is that we don't have a community necessarily, or we did it until we created mixed America to turn to when we're going through this trauma. So we don't have someone that looks like us that goes through our same experience where we can be like, Hey, like, okay, I'm not alone. We're kind of feel isolated in our trauma. Um, and a lot of mixed people experience rejection from both sides of them, you know, where they're not black enough or they're not white enough. So even in this racial trauma, they're still not being embraced by the other people going through the racial trauma too. Mm -hmm. And so it's very isolating, very ostracizing. And it's even, even you deny it even more so then you're like, Oh, then I must not be experiencing this. I must be making this up because no one's embracing me the same way Mm -hmm. they're embracing everyone else. When they talk about the racial trauma, they're telling me to be quiet about it um, and that it's not fair. And so it's that kind of uh, altering our reality and being like, uh, maybe this isn't true. No one's really supporting me and saying me too. Um, and so I think that's the biggest part, uh, the biggest difference between a mixed person's racial trauma and a monoracial person's trauma. Yeah, I would, I would, I would totally second that. And I, you know, Jasmine and I recently did a, a, a Twitter chat with uh, mental health of America mm-hmm. where we were, talking about this and I'm gonna be real we were nervous we were really scared that in this even with all the research we did we were really nervous that people were going to be upset and quite frankly we do have a lot of people that get upset with us for taking up um, some space Mm -hmm. Uh, but 
I would, I would describe it, and we did describe it then as it's almost like a silent scream. You know, it's this internal, um, this turmoil that's happening within us. And when we go to one side, they don't quite get it. When we go to the other side, they don't quite get it. And everyone's assuming that our shit's amazing, yeah. right? Yeah. I've had some incredible conversations with um, monoracial uh, black women that are my close friends, just having a back and forth like girl tell me what it's like in your body and let me let me also tell you what it's like in mine and when i expressed this in a safe space with someone who already loves me and knows mm-hmm. me and you know um knows that i'm i'm doing the work they were like oh my god girl i thought your life was perfect yeah. she was like i was like oh it's perfect like good hair light skin mm-hmm. like blah 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 and and it was really healing for me to hear her say, like, thank you for sharing that with me. I had no idea. And she, you know, she validated my blackness, which is something I talk a lot about as someone who's so light skinned, yeah. you know, came out of a black woman, mm-hmm. so close with my mother. And since I was a little girl wanting to look more like her. Mm-hmm. Now, some because of the trickle down of white supremacy a lot of black women maybe grew up and wanted to look closer to my shade. Yeah. So we have this, it's when it's not until we sit down and we talk and we say, girl, I think you're the pinnacle of beauty. And she goes, well, I thought you were, <laughs> you know, and we can heal that wound together and see that we both got pain. I also have privilege. I need to make sure I'm reckoning with that mm-hmm. and, and not perpetuating that problem, of course. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think we get into a cycle of like comparing struggles. Like when someone takes the space to open up about what they're going through, the first thing people want to do is like, oh, but, or me too, or I had it worse. And it's like, no, 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 We can both have space for our struggle. We can both have space for our pain. There is literally no sense in, you cannot compare struggles. I have no idea what that felt like for you to go through this. You have no idea what it felt like for me to go through this. So I think we just have to really get out of that habit to constantly try and compare uh, our struggles and our pain with one another because it's it's a losing game. Yeah, for sure, I agree with that. Um, you know, well, continue. I'm sorry. No, no, no go, go ahead, go ahead. No, no, yeah. I have no. Go ahead, go ahead. Continue, continue. <laughs> I was just agreeing. Like it's just hitting. It's hitting, I know the it's hitting home. Thing gets people because yeah, yeah. We, yeah. we all can you know fall you victim to that sometimes. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. we'll be like, oh, but but it's like we gotta make space. We Absolutely. gotta make space, and and there's a there's a time and a place, right? Mm-hmm. Our page is a is a is a safe space for people to come, talk about their experience. It's inclusive. You know, we've had a lot of people be like, "I'm this, I'm a quarter of this, and this percentage of that. Do I count?" And I, and I'm always like, "Sis, I am not God. Yeah. I am not writing a <laughs> book. We mm-hmm. are inclusive, baby girl, baby boy. If you feel, <laughs> baby person, yep. if you feel like this vibe, you understand this duality, you understand this, then you're welcome here. Yeah. You know, I'm not really about all of the like labeling and all of that stuff, mm-hmm. but it's do, like, oh, go ahead. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'll let you finish. I'm sorry. I'm just, well, it just I think the comparing struggles really resonates with people because so many people feel silenced in this time, mm-hmm. you know, so many For people sure. feel like. I'm not allowed to take up space. And it's like, we're all allowed to take up space. Knowing when is your time to speak and when is your time to listen? Now that is, imp- that's, that's, a skill. Skill. <laughs> yeah. that's a skill. For sure. Do you, um, do you ladies have a lot of like parents of either race that reach out to you guys to kind of, um, uh-huh. 
figure out how they should raise their kids that are biracial and whatnot? I know I get oh, that. Yeah. <laughs> do you get yeah. that? Yeah. No, we definitely do. Which like, is Taylor like, so nice. <laughs> I feel like, uh, you know, my parents didn't necessarily, you know, you don't, you don't know what you don't know. Yeah. My parents didn't know to even speak about being mixed race. Same. You know, they, my, they're both monoracial. So they just knew that experience. They knew that there was a challenge being an interracial couple. Um, but they never really talked to me about being mixed race, uh, and just because they didn't know to. So I love that there's so many parents that reach out to us being like, how can I make it so my child's experience is better? And that's really a big part of why we wanted to start Mixed America too, is so, so that way, you know, some little girls that look like us won't have to feel like us and how we felt when we were growing up and feeling this identity struggle, but like not even knowing it was an identity struggle. Mm-hmm. Like I knew that I had a lot of chaos going on within me, but I didn't know it had to do with race at all, really, until yeah. I got older. And I was like, oh, like... That makes sense, you know, because no one put the words, no one gave me the words to really describe it. So I, I, we have tons of parents that reach out and, um, I mean, we don't have all the answers, Mm -hmm. but we try our best to be like, okay, what would we want to hear, you know, when we were kids and what would we have want to been taught and been told by our parents? So yeah, I love that. That's good. I love that. Yeah. And I feel like, I mean, starting all these conversations, like the earlier, the better, um, you know, before I was even... 13, I was made aware that I was black and that my blackness was ugly and that my blackness was something to hide away. Um, so kids start receiving these messages so, so early and it's so transformative to be able to recognize yourself in someone else. It's so transformative to feel heard, to feel listened to, to have those resources, to be able to speak about how you feel and what you think you are and what you want to be and, and all of those things. Um, and I want to just go back a little little bit here to this like concept within trauma of holding space and acknowledging privilege. Um, Because this, I think, goes to part of the comparison piece that you were also touching on, that we compare our pain and... I think in a lot of ways also for people who are mixed race that they're, um, you know, specifically in this situation that their blackness has been put into question. So therefore that comparison kind of automatically is what starts happening, uh, at least for me. Um, And I'm wondering if you can touch on just kind of holding that space for the and piece, right? That like, yes, we have different privileges, but to not let that negate our actual experiences, Does that make sense? Yes. So that's something that we talk a ton about. Mm -hmm. And it's oftentimes controversial. But look, here we go. So we really believe that both things are true, Mm -hmm. right? In within my body, I I experience privilege. Absolutely. And I experience intense pain and isolation. Absolutely. And racism Mm -hmm. and oppression. Absolutely. Both things are true. And to deny me either experience is to deny me my full experience. And that's how I feel about that. Look, it's a basic human need to want to feel claimed, right? Mm -hmm. And and that is something that we don't get. We don't have anywhere to run. Like Jasmine just said, there's no tools for mixed people. We literally don't know what to do with our trauma and our pain. And by the way, there's very little research done on the biracial, multiracial experience. Very little done. And yet, our, our demographic is growing and is going to be triple mm-hmm. in like 2060. Yeah. So we better get on board. I remember being in, oh gosh, I don't remember if this was middle school or high school, but literally we had a book within social studies and one of the chapters was The Browning of America. 
And I remember being like, whoa, <laughs> like, okay, wow. interesting. Like people are going to have some feelings about this. Um, <laughs> but it, it, you're totally right. Like there are going to become more and more of us and this, our experiences are going to, you know, need to be processed and, um, need to get kind of have research on to be able to fully understand what these experiences are like and what the impact of that is. Um, and I think that with this privilege and also with this pain, um, we find ourselves as mixed race, as, as biracial people to be able to kind of, uh, not pass, but there's a sort of like racial fluidity, right? Where we can kind of chameleon into different social settings. And um, I have a feeling that will be something that we discuss uh, with uh, with our future guests um, in this series. And, you know, racial fluidity is something that, that you both cover. And I think for a lot of white listeners, which is predominantly this podcast, um, <laughs> that it could be really helpful to just kind of uh, give a little overview as to what racial fluidity is and what that typically looks like for mixed race people. Yeah. Um, well, racial fluidity is kind of this idea that we can, like you said, be a chameleon and kind of shift. Mm -hmm. um, and it's kind of this subconscious instinctual thing that makes people do. It's not like we're consciously, okay, let me be a black person. Let me be a white person. Yeah. It's just, we have grown up in these environments um, surrounded by a bunch of black people or surrounded by a bunch of white people. And we've taken on kind of that, those characteristics, uh, the way mm -hmm. that, um, we function in those groups and we kind of adapt. We just naturally adapt. And so it's this type of similar to gender fluidity where you're not locked into one specific label, but you're able to just kind of be, I just am. And that is a little bit of white, a little bit of black, a little bit, whatever else I am. And yeah. um, I naturally kind of shift in those modes and it's not me being mm -hmm. inauthentic. It's actually me being my authentic self and being able to express exactly the way I want to express, which is this fluid, this fluid yeah. way. You know, some days I, I sound different. Some days yeah. you, I sound white, you know, which I absolutely hate that, mm -hmm. that, uh, yeah. that label, but it's true. Like, and, and so I think a big part of it too, is just the fact that we, um, associate characteristics with race. Mm -hmm. I think that's a, a big part of the problem. If we didn't do that, then there wouldn't really be this need for racial fluidity. Yeah. If we didn't say that's black and that's white, we wouldn't even need this uh, term because everyone could just be themselves without it being associated with a race. Um, but that's a whole nother conversation. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny, you guys. I was going to say, like, yeah, I definitely went through that as well. But have you guys seen the TV show Key and Pill? Those guys are both biracial yes. as well. I think there was an episode where one of them, were they were sitting down at dinner, and he was, his wife uh, wanted him to be a little bit more black. And he was going, like, back and forth, being too black, too white, through the whole thing with the yeah. waiter. It was hilarious. But that just touched on point. And That's a perfect example. It, yeah. it was a perfect example. And I go through the same things. I'd say a lot of times my emotions, depending on, like, my mood or emotions, will bring out a, either yeah. a white side or black side of me. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. But, yeah, just just yeah. to touch on that. That's Yeah, I love that. Yeah. Well, it's almost... Oh, go ahead. I, I was just going to say that it, it reminds me, I mean, it kind of takes me back to what you were saying earlier, Megan, of people wanting to put you in a box, right? And that's something I talk a lot about on the podcast in general that like, you know, as a, as a multifaceted, multidimensional woman who's also multiracial, um, there's going to be a lot of parts of me that might contradict. There's going to be a lot of parts of me that you won't be able to fit into this nice, pretty box with a bow on it and it's going to get a little complicated. It's going to be complex. Um, and I think just the fact that 
people like to categorize. People like to be able to make sense of someone to where they feel more comfortable. Um, That's when we get into this like, well, you know, oh, well, now you're talking black or now you're talking white. And I mean, I have a lot of siblings who are uh, none of which are are mixed race. I'm the only one that's half black, half white. Um, And, you know, my little sister used to call me whitey. Um, Like that was her nickname for me. She'd be like, oh, Taylor, you're so white. Like, okay, whitey. Um, (laughs) And so it's like, there's, there's almost this shame, I think, that often comes in, at least for me throughout growing up around that racial fluidity piece that if I embraced the one side of me, and I get this even today when I speak about black issues that people want to throw in there, well, but you're also white. So like, are you just like forgetting your white side then? Or like you hate your white side then? And you need to say, no, what are, what, no, I have not forgotten, but thank you so much. But I would (laughs) like to know what blackness means to you, friend, Mm -hmm, and what mm -hmm. you're equating blackness to be. Because look, Mm -hmm. I, I feel so strongly about this. We cannot keep saying, oh, you're less black if you talk a certain way. Mm-hmm. Let's break that down real quick. So yeah. if I speak in a certain way, I feel less black. So are you equating, what, is, what does that mean? What do you mean? So yeah. if I speak in a way that's like, in, in your eyes, educated, that makes me White. less black. Yep. Well, I find that very problematic. <laughs> and Hello. it's like, well, what is blackness then? Because yeah. race is a social construct like gender. So to force people in these boxes is a problem. And it doesn't mm-hmm. allow people to express authentically. It makes us feel like we're putting on hats for other people and we're code switching and we're we're yeah. being a stereotype of something. I agree. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's so problematic with like young kids these days. Cause I remember being young and the black kids saying, I talk white. Well, mm-hmm. or maybe I just talk a little bit more educated and it's like, well, I need to, I need to switch my language up then. And maybe I don't need to talk like this. And now, now I'm just, I'm just putting myself again in a box where I'm going to have no types of opportunities, no growth. And I don't know, but yeah, it's very problematic for kids that are, that mm-hmm. are like us that go through that. Definitely. I think mixed people, we challenge people to have to think in a different way. Absolutely. We're just, we're walking dualty, walking dualty. So now they have to take all these concepts that can be somewhat contradictory and hold it all in one place. Mm-hmm. And we do that naturally. We just are that. Yeah. So it's not that crazy for us to just be holding all these different parts, all of these opposites in a way, the privilege, the pain, and all these different pieces of us at the same time. It's just, it's, we've had to learn to reckon that within ourselves. And so now people looking at us have to learn to do that. And it's kind of a reconditioning of their mind. They're wanting to just put things in parts and divide things in categories. And they can't, when they look at an ambiguous, you know, multiracial person, they're having to hold all of this duality within one place. And mm-hmm. it's hard. It takes work, but it's the work that needs to be done. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You yeah. don't want to hear about the struggle, but it's like, let me, oh, hush, hush. I just want to fetishize you. <laughs> you yeah. Yep. Oh my God. But I just want to have your brown babies. Yeah. That's too much. <laughs> oh my goodness. Yeah. Yeah. And I I know I have to be kind of conscious of time here and I'm still like this conversation has been fantastic so far and you're both amazing and want to be BFFs now. Um, but <laughs> would love, love for us to kind of touch a little bit, you know, we're talking about racism, we're talking about racial trauma a bit. Um, and, you know, I think 
as our culture, as our society is discussing things like racism and white supremacy much more these days, I would love to have a little bit of a mini conversation here around colorism because I don't think that you can, you know, discuss racism without actually understanding colorism. And I think especially as uh, myself and and everyone else on this episode who's going to be talking about being multiracial and as we talk about our privilege and holding our trauma that within that that privileged piece becomes an understanding of colorism does that make sense totally yeah absolutely um and it's a it's a big topic and one that's controversial we we have found um Mm, really but yeah um so it is this idea you know for mixed people it is this idea that we can hold both privilege and pain um but colorism specifically is discrimination based on skin tone and it's usually the preferential treatment of light-skinned people um you know and when people look at the topic of colorism it's really people will think okay well it's light-skinned people get the best and dark-skinned people get the worst um and that's a part of it of course there's tons of studies that show that um light-skinned people who have had who have done the same crimes as dark-skinned people get better sentences Mm -hmm. um you know they get uh better job offers etc there's tons of studies on this um and then there's the other side where that light-skinned person is now feeling all this guilt from that which we talk a lot about is like now we have all this guilt. It's kind of that feeling of like, oh, I definitely can't talk about my pain Mm -hmm. because look at what my dark skin brothers and sisters are going through and I want to be able to make space for them. Um, And so it's kind of a two side where it's like, as much as we're getting this type of privilege, we're also feeling so isolated, so guilty um, and very ostracized by the colorism. And so it's the way that white supremacy has kind of infiltrated the minority groups within themselves. Um, And it's still that idea that white is right. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's, um, I like to think of it like how slave field slave, right? And yeah. that kind of clarifies it for me really well of thinking of like, obviously, the field slave has it so terribly. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Now, the, the house slave has it a lot better. They're in the house, they're eating masses food. And, um, but also, what is it like to reckon with the, the privilege and also uh, that your mom is yeah. probably out in the field. Like, what yeah. is that like? Does that feel good? Nah, no, it doesn't feel good. But do you still have to acknowledge that you get some perks, some serious perks that the field slaves don't? Yes, you better acknowledge that because if you don't acknowledge it, then you will perpetuate it. Like I get into so many rooms that my darker skinned sisters, I'm an actress. I get into a ton of rooms that maybe they won't be seen for. Mm-hmm. I give this example a lot of, and it was, uh, I think the movie is If Beale Street Could Talk, right? That's the, or Beale, whatever, Beale Street or whatever that movie is. I, I went in for that. It's an incredible movie, incredible script. I read the script and I was like, damn, I don't think I should be playing this role. <laughs> it needs to go to a dark skinned sister. And I went, but I went to the audition as I was brand, you know, new actress, super green. And I sat in that waiting room and felt intense shame. Mm. It was all darker skinned girls around me, all gorgeous. We were all gorgeous. That wasn't the problem, but they looked at me and I just felt it. I felt, I felt the years of women who look like me getting chosen over them. I felt I felt the mirror of, well, is she 
more beautiful? Is she going to get it because she's mm-hmm. light skinned? Like I felt it all and I felt terrible. I didn't like it because I, the role wasn't mine. You know, I need, I personally feel like I need to play mixed race roles. Mm-hmm. I mean, look, why would I play a monoracial black woman? That's crazy. <laughs> I need to play mixed race roles. And, and that moment wasn't for me. I did the audition and I did a good job and I didn't get the role. Thank God. Maybe 10, 15 years ago, they would have given it to yeah. someone like me though, just because I checked that box of, uh, you know, European, European beauty standards a little more than a monoracial black woman might. Um, but that's just an example of like, I get into so many rooms that maybe my monoracial sisters can't. And that is all trickled down of white supremacy. And I think one thing I do want to say about privilege, Mm -hmm. it's important to acknowledge it because it bridges the gap. Our, our monoracial brothers and sisters need to hear that. They need to hear that we know that because then it kind of takes a wall down and then they might say, well, let me hear more, though, about what it's like to live in a, mono, uh, a multiracial body. Hmm. Because you're not saying, well, I'm just, you know, I just, da 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 and how dare you assume? It's like, no, I do experience privilege. That doesn't mean that I like it. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean it feels good. Nobody's, nobody's saying that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't like that I, I am perceived as better than my mother. Why would I like that? That makes no sense. Her pain affects me, mm-hmm. you know? So I can acknowledge privilege and also say, I promise you I will do whatever it takes to get rid of that and lift up. So when I get into a room that my monoracial sisters and brothers can't, I better find ways to hold the door open for them, make space for them. That, to me, that's the conversation to have. Absolutely. And also... By us doing that, you know, biracial, I think that shows also our other side of, you know, the whites that they have privilege. And, you know, some that are hard-headed and don't want to understand mm-hmm. that they have privilege, by us accepting that we also have privilege mm-hmm. gives them a better understanding of what privilege is as well. So I really love that point. Yeah. 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 And because even to that, I mean, like, whenever I do speak about uh, Black issues, it's like white people so strongly want me to acknowledge my privilege. And I I can totally see what you're saying there, Dustin, where it's like when with every post I do or every story I do around, uh, you know, blackness, if that's not almost prefaced with like, yes, I'm also white and yes, I'm also light-skinned and like, yes, I do have a privilege that like, it's so much harder for them to hear me because then they're fighting their own privilege. And when they hear someone who is multiracial acknowledge it, I think it does make it easier for them to acknowledge it, which yeah. I hadn't thought about yet. So that was a great point. Yeah, I, I didn't really think about that either. And it's just levels of privilege, I guess, that we... Mm-hmm. Before, it was just like white and black privilege. You know, now there's... As yeah. I can see, there's different levels of privilege for sure. You know? mm-hmm. and, right. And it's not to say that you struggle less. Right. I think that's an important distinction. I think when we're talking about privilege, there's definitely levels to that, Mm -hmm. that it doesn't acknowledging my light skin privilege fully does not at all erase my pain and my trauma and my hardship. Mm -hmm. Both things can be true. And I think that that is the way in. Yeah. It's so, so difficult for people to hold both things. And it's, you know, you said earlier, like we're kind of these walking dualities and 
it's so funny because that is always how I've described myself is that I'm a walking contradiction and literally at the core of who I am of being black and white that like that's almost shaped my personality and how I navigate through the world where like this is usually my go-to example that like I'll be at Johns Hopkins getting my master's in mental health counseling but I'll also be working at the hustler as a promo girl in a strip club like (laughs) duality you know (laughs) where where I'm like yeah there's there's a lot going on in this existence baby (laughs) okay take it all in (laughs) yeah exactly but I think I mean I've I've always looked at that as like as the core of who I am I am I was born into this world having to hold two almost opposite very different things and Mm -hmm. for most people that's not something that they have to sit with and so most things in life are all or nothing they are fit into this one category and I don't know why I don't think I'd ever even actually really identified it as like monoracial versus like mixed race or biracial and I think that's a good point for me to take away like because I'll say things like oh well you know I'm not full black or like, oh, well, they're full black. Um, and that almost mm-hmm. like takes away in some ways it feels like, but the term... Like you're not full. Yeah. You're a full yeah. person. Like you're not a full Yeah, person. that my yeah. blackness like isn't a fullness, mm-hmm. but like the monoracial yeah. versus multiracial, I think makes a lot more sense for me. Something I'm yeah. I'm thinking about. But to your point, Megan, where you said, um, if you don't acknowledge it, you perpetuate it. mind blown right there because I think that's something that mixed race people are fearful of and feel like if they if they do acknowledge it that they almost are perpetuating it or that if they do acknowledge it that it then invalidates their existence or it invalidates their pain but I think that's such a good point to reflect on if you don't acknowledge the privilege if you don't acknowledge um you know the the colorism and the racial fluidity and all of that that then you are just perpetuating those concepts and the, the impact that white supremacy has on all of us. Mm-hmm. Yes. And you know, I think I already hear some of my uh some of our rebellious followers being like, "But wait, I'm mixed race and I'm I'm of two marginalized groups Mm, you know mm -hmm. what about that do I experience privilege Mm. and to that I would say I don't know do you yeah (laughs) like that's what I mean when I say we are we are figuring it out like the mixed conversation Mm -hmm. is is being laid out in real time right now so I, I I'm always willing to be wrong I hope in in five years, I'm like, oh, wrong about that, wrong about that, wrong about that. But I did my research and I leveled up. You know, Mm -hmm. we got to keep the conversation open and we have to, we have to at some point be brave enough to talk about these hard things and release the pressure to be completely right all the time. You know, when it comes to race, when it comes to identity, we're figuring this out, but we have to set up spaces to be vulnerable and to be wrong. Mm -hmm. Quite frankly, this cancel culture is, is, is not it. And the, 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 the dehumanization that happens through social media with all these people trying to have these conversations about race in America. And we, we attack the person and it's like, don't attack the person, question or get curious about their philosophy. You know what I mean? It's, it, there's a difference. Like we can have a conversation. We can disagree. I'm willing to be wrong always. 
you know, I, I tell everyone take whatever jazz and I say with a grain of salt, this is what is working for us and what, you know, our research up until now has brought us to, mm-hmm. but we're figuring this stuff out. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. I mean, and I think that's part of what this whole little mini series is about too, is also just like, let's figure out how to talk about this a little bit more in depth and in a safe space and where we can support each other and also challenge each other. Um, and I've just honestly so, so, so grateful for the community that you are creating because like you said, there isn't really one out there. Um, yeah. And like we mentioned at the beginning of this, uh, you have a workbook that's out, but you're also having a workshop coming up and would love for you to kind of share a little bit about that and where people can find you. Yes, uh, we're so excited. So we're releasing our workshop in August um, and it's called The Mixed Revelation. And it's really a workshop that is focused on uh, learning to claim your whole self and your authentic self, um, and as well as unpacking any wounds that have stood in your way. Um, why haven't you been able to claim your full self? Why haven't you been able to express yourself authentically? And so we really dive in deep and try and get to the core and the source of those wounds and unpack them. Um, so that way we are able to be our full mixed self. Mm. Oh, yes. Preach, Jazz. Like, that's what it's about, (laughs) creating a safe space for us to do this work together Mm -hmm. um, on our own terms and in our own way. Um, The the workbook, uh, check out the workbook, you guys. It's free, and it's awesome, and it's going to start this conversation. It's going to, like I said before, put the power in you, right, Mm -hmm. so that you can decide for yourself. Who am I? How do I exist? And you'll find along the way that maybe you've never even asked these questions of yourself. And that's what's going to be so um, fulfilling is to say, wow, I'm, I'm, I'm going to uh, tell my story my way. So therapeutic, uh, yeah. Heidi Duro. It's yeah. so therapeutic. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to quite quote Heidi Duro, who does the mixed remix um, festival each year, not because, not now because of COVID, but she says, um, I am a story. And I Mm -hmm. think for mixed people, that's it. We are a story. And during our workshop, we want to hear what yours is. So that's what it's going to be about. Wow. Very cool. That's amazing. I love you both. Yeah. We're, we're so excited. (laughs) We love you. Stop. Amazing. Um, but yeah, the, the workbook, uh, some of these questions, you know, you, you guys, will, listeners, uh, will hear us go over a little bit, um, with other contestants from the show. Um, these questions are all, you know, good, very good open ended questions to kind of dig deeper. Um, and on Instagram, you guys are mixed in America. Um, is, are there like underscores in there that I'm missing or it's just mixed in America? Yeah. Um, at mixed underscore in underscore America. Amazing. Uh, Thank you both so much. Um, Is there anything that we're missing or that you want to share with folks as maybe additional resources or other places to find you? I know you have the link on your Instagram to your website where like so Mm -hmm. many great like blog articles and things that you both have wrote that I'm just like, yes, you're saying it all. (laughs) (laughs) Gotta say it. Yeah, I mean, check us out on Instagram. Check us out on our uh, website, info at mixinamerica.org. And if you are feeling isolated and, like, you don't have a community, I really mean it when I say you are welcome here. You know, we are about it. We are a safe space. We don't take no funny business. People are allowed to speak their minds respectfully and gracefully. So please come join us. Uh, Check out the workbook because it's going to start this 
this work, mm -hmm. this journey of unpacking for you. And then uh, that'll prep you for the workshop in August. Yay. Yay. Amazing. Well, thank you both so much. Thank you thank so you much. Thank you. Thanks for having us. I love mixed people on one call. Like, <laughs> I know. Yeah. So great. <laughs> Look I'm, at this. <laughs> I'm going to need you guys to uh, drop drop that hair routine because I see a lot of curls <laughs> popping right now. Look, I, need, it, I need that curl routine. It's a journey. That's a different whole <laughs> other is, episode. It is. You're so right. So right. Uh, um, documentary. Yeah. Right? <laughs> All right, that does it for today's episode. Thank you so much for making it all the way through and keeping your ears, your hearts, and your minds open. It would mean so much to me if you could take a second or two after listening to this episode to leave a review on iTunes and let me know what you're enjoying about the show. I love reading you know, what your favorite episodes are, where you guys listen, um, and definitely feel free to share this with a friend. I mean, part of how we break down the stigmas around these topics is by talking about them, right? And, and sharing them with more people. So definitely share the podcast. Um, and again, really wanting to include all of you in this podcast. So if you have questions or you want to share a thought or an experience, please send in a voice memo to ask.letstalkaboutit at gmail.com. And I'm really excited to keep having these conversations and uh, breaking down these stigmas. So thank you all so, so, so much. I hope you have a wonderful rest of your week and I'll talk to you next time.